Good morning. Hey, thank you. It's nice to have someone respond to me when I say that. Um, also to all the you joining us online, special greetings to you. I'm glad you're joining us uh, via media this morning. Uh, what I want to do here is begin with just a continuation of announcements. Um, we've had several requests made uh, to have a mask-only service. And here's what we're going to do with these requests and after prayer and some discussion. On October 11th, uh, the same week we have baptisms, at 845, we are going to have a mask-only service in the great room. Um, and you can enter that area remotely through the south doors, keeping social distancing uh, as you do so. There will be some signage to help anybody interested in that. And I'm specifically speaking to, to some online who have made this request. Um, this area just provides an excellent option for this kind of a service. All the singing and speaking will be projected, so it really will be a mask-only uh, service. And we want to do a first hour to assure that the room is indeed as clean as it can possibly uh, be. Here are some of the things that those who have requested this uh, service have said they miss and that would be provided uh, in this area because some may be thinking, well, I'll just stay at home and watch if I'm going to watch something on, on the screen. But uh, this service will allow you to participate in physical community with other believers. Uh, we believe that's a really important thing. And so this will allow you to do that. This will allow you to be uh, encouraged by others and to encourage others. Um, there will be opportunity for some community and spontaneous relationship. So, October 11th, 8.45, service, mask only, will be in the great room. So if you want that and are thinking about that, we just wanted to make sure that you know that will become available on that date. Um, so now I'm going to kick into gear and talk to you um, uh, on some stuff that's been on my heart for a long time. One of the first questions I can remember as a young man when I started thinking uh, more about life than just what my next meal was going to be, um, I began to wonder... Uh, this fundamental question. Uh, is life an accident or am I here on purpose? I really begin to, to struggle with that question as a person. Um, during the time of really coming to this question in my own life, uh, evolutionary uh, theory had gained so much traction in our society and was just being taught everywhere as fact. And I remember thinking, how do I square that kind of thinking with the Bible, and uh, what does that mean? And, I, and in addition to that, I don't know if you've had this experience. I've had this experience multiple times. I begin to notice that some people would kind of smile and wink when they were introducing their little caboose, the kid that came after all the other kids. You know, maybe five to ten years later, they were saying, this is my little accident. Ever hear someone say that about one of their children that kind of wasn't really planned for, but showed up? A decade later, by the way, if that happens, don't use that language. Because that kid's not an accident. Amen. I know it's all, all in good fun, but I remember thinking, huh, is life an accident or are we here on purpose? And that's a question we're going to get to eventually today, but I'm going to take you on a really long tangent um, before we get to the end. I mean, this is a long tangent, like 15, 20 minute tangent, okay? But like uh, all the questions that we're going to deal with in this series, uh, this question can't really be addressed adequately without knowing the big picture of the Bible. If you want to experience this big, faith-filled, grown-up life 
in Jesus Christ, you've got to understand that the Bible's one story. It's, it's one big picture. Anybody like to do puzzles? Anybody like to do puzzles? You can raise your hand. I was pleasantly surprised in the first hour that there are people that actually like to do puzzles. Um, I remember here a few Christmases ago, a couple Christmases ago, that maybe it was last Christmas. I lose track of time. Anyway, I'm old. Um, the Norby set up a puzzle in our living room, and all our kids were visiting us and grandkids, and we just were putting this puzzle together as kind of a community uh, project. And you'd go by the table and put a couple pieces on. You ever done that? And I, I remember getting kind of serious-minded about it, and then my, my youngest boy's girlfriend, Sandy, she joined me for a few hours at a shot getting at through this puzzle. Um, but let me ask you this question. So I have this puzzle. If I gave you these five pieces of the puzzle... Could you put the puzzle together? Could you figure out what the picture is? No. No. You know, we do that with our Christian faith. We give you pieces. Ah, and a lot of us know pieces, don't we? We know in the beginning God created, and there's Adam and Eve, and they were in the Garden of Eden. Then we jump over, oh yeah, Moses, he's a pretty cool dude, and God gave him a bunch of laws. He saw him, you know, in a mountain. And then, then we get to David. Oh yeah, David, I know David. David and Goliath, he killed, he killed the giant. He's a giant killer, and David's a man after God's own heart. And then we jump to Jesus. Oh yeah, Jesus is really important. We do Christmas, you know. And we have these pieces. We have these pieces, don't we? But we don't maybe know the picture. Now some of you who are extreme puzzlers, I don't even know if that's a word, other than maybe you're being puzzled, you could take the pieces without the cover picture and you'd say, I like that challenge of putting this together without knowing what the picture is that I'm putting together. Anybody do puzzles that way? It's mainly a frustrating experience because you don't know the picture you're trying to put together and most good puzzles have a lot of pieces that look the same. Have you noticed that? And so what helps? to see the puppies. Aren't they cute? Yeah. This is for like five-year-olds, and that's why I relate to it so well. But um, it's, uh, it's, 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 when you know the cover picture of the puzzle, then you can kind of say, oh, these are where the pieces fit. What we're going to do today, we're going to look at this big picture of the Bible. It's like this. It's like the cover picture. When we know the cover picture of what God's up to, all of a sudden, all the pieces of the puzzle come together, and our faith grows up and it becomes more established in our God. Um, so what we're going to do for a few moments is, 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 look at, is look at the big picture of God. And here, here's why this is important. This is more important, I think, than we realize. Years ago at New Hope, I did a funeral. And I remember meeting with uh, the deceased's widow and she was talking about her husband. And she had a little bit of an attitude going that I was puzzled about. When I was meeting with her, it's almost a little bit of a smirky attitude. And she said to me, my, my deceased husband, I'm going to leave these people nameless, uh, he didn't believe in the Old Testament at all. He's a New Testament person. Like that's a revelation or something to me. I, I don't know. So we don't want you to use any Old Testament references at all in the funeral. And I remember that was an awkward moment. And uh, I'm trying to be gentle with her because she's in a time of bereavement and loss of her husband. And I just remember the funeral director, who I knew quite well, looking at me like, what kind of people do you have over there? You know, you're just looking at him. I can see, I can see what he's thinking, you know. And uh, I go, and, well, I'll do this. And then I gently said to her, but, you know, you're gravely misunderstanding the Bible. If you think there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, one's irrelevant and one's relevant. But I'll let it go and I'll, 
I'll just do the funeral. And I, at that point in my pastoral ministry career, if you want to call it that, I said, people need to know that the Bible is one story. I, I maybe need to do a better job of that. And so today we're going to talk about this idea that the Bible is one big story. Okay, so if you're taking notes, first of all, if you want to put it into language, the big picture of the Bible is this. It's one big story from the end, from the beginning to the end. It's all about God's redemptive plan of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, so it's one, one big story. Now, most of us know that the Bible is divided into two main parts. Right? There is what? And... You get an A+. Plus. That should show up as a picture here in the screen, I, I, I believe. There you go. Most of us, when we think of the Bible, we think Old Testament, New Testament. What's wrong with that language, do you think? What do we think when we think of old? Outdated, irrelevant. Some of us know what that feels like, amen? <laughs> I'm knowing what that feels like to be old now. I, I just went out with a couple friends and we went fishing and doing some stuff. And I never have felt so old in my life. I can't lift, I can't do things, I creak, I, I get tired, I just want to take naps. We're visiting in the living room, and, there's stuff, and I'm, so I love you guys, but I, I'm just going to nod off and take a five-minute siesta here while you continue to visit, you know. It's kind of our family joke. If dad isn't asleep now, he will be in a few minutes, right? And you know, you just kind of like, we think old, we think irrelevant, and unfortunately, when it comes to the Bible, when we use that language, Old Testament and New Testament, we tend to think old's irrelevant, New, that's where it's happening. And um, really what the Bible is, is is one big story, and the Old Testament's reflective of the New Testament and vice versa. It's all about this covenant-making God that that sees beyond our... (laughs) It's such a good story. I'm sorry. Try that. It's such a story of redemption, you know, from the get-go. It's just a wonderful story uh, of a God reaching out to sinful people uh, with this, this mercy that's new every morning uh, in this redemptive plan. And so we're going to look at this story in totality here for a few moments. And once you know the whole story, it's like you know where these puzzle pieces fit. And you know the, you know the cover story, right? And so you know where you fit better. And you can answer that question, am I an accident or am I here on purpose? You, you'll come to more of a, what I would call a, a kind of a, a, a assured faith, a mature faith. So here we go. Let's go through the big picture of the Bible. We're going to begin by ascending up the Old Testament side of the ladder. And then we're going to descend down the New Testament side. Um, and on each side are five major events. And these are not the only events of the Bible. It's just a good framework, a good way of getting the overall picture of the Bible. So the Old Testament begins with righteous people and God interacting in paradise. So we get God and righteous people in paradise. You got God and Adam and Eve. They're in perfect harmony. The marriage is perfect. The relationship with God is perfect. It's sinless. It's pure. And God walked with his creation in the cool of the garden. This is Genesis 1 and 2. Then something terrible happens. Satan and sin enter into the, into the picture. And bottom line is this. Uh, at that moment, mankind represented by Adam and Eve, chose evil over good. That's Genesis chapters 3 through 5. And we see right away 
this unplugged humanity from God. The relationship was severed. And God shows up to walk with his creation in the evening. Uh, Adam and Eve are hiding because of their sinfulness. And they were ashamed. And, and they sewn fig leaves together trying to hide their nakedness and all this kind of stuff. And we could see that sin just messed everything up. And now death entered into the scene and sickness and loss and, and all those kind of heartaches enter into man's existence. After this, then, uh, uh, sinfulness just grew and it just grew and it just grew and it seemed like every thought of mankind was, how do I sin differently anew? And God had it and we know he sent the flood. He judged, right? Judgment came. It was the flood. And the world and humanity was, um, was judged. Um, and so that was the next major event. The world judged and destroyed. God said, it's time to do a do-over. I'm going to do that with Noah, this righteous man, and his family. So that happens. And then right away after, and that's Genesis, um, again, um, um, basically uh, 6 through 9. And then we get to the next part of Genesis, and we see that, Mankind, it just, it's in their nature now to sin. So even after the flood and all that judgment, uh, we're told that humanity came together and they tried to, you know, form a one world government basically and build a tower to the heavens, a tower of Babel. It was an act of self-sufficiency, an act of uh, declaration. We are God. We're in control of our own destiny. It was an elevation uh, uh, to the position of God. And God said enough. And he scattered them. He scattered them and, and gave them different languages and, and said, so we see one world government's next and the scattering of, of the people of God, okay? And so we're climbing the ladder up. Now, now something marvelous begins to transpire in the Old Testament. Um, God begins to interact with this person called Abram. And God begins to say to Abram, and he changes his name to Abraham, that I'm going to bless you and you're going to have Descendants as numerous as the, uh, as the stars and, and ultimately a descendant's going to come out of you who's going to change, it's going to bless all peoples and that descendant, of course, ended up being Jesus Christ. And we know that Adam, or excuse me, Abraham and Sarah were childless and God gave them a, a son of promise uh, of Isaac. And right there, right there, we're beginning to see the redemptive side of God, what I call in full force. He reaches out to this frail couple who are old and incapable of having children. And he says in a unilateral way, I am going to bless you. You just have to believe me. You just have to have faith. And they do. And it's a marvelous foreshadowing, amen, of, of really of what, what, of what the redemptive nature of God is all about. Um, and then, you know what? From the end of Genesis then, from God's interaction to Abraham, all the way to the very last book of the Old Testament, to Malachi. It's all about God's interaction in a covenant nature with people and revealing himself and unfolding the plan of Jesus Christ that's coming and talking about what it means to be righteous and unrighteous, right? It's, it's, it's a huge amount of pieces, but it all kind of fits in that, you know, old covenant kind of category, okay? Are you getting this? And, and God's given us picture after picture, illustration after illustration of what it means to be righteous, what it means to be unrighteous, what it means to reject God, what it means to accept God. He's just painting picture after picture after picture, and it's good stuff. And when you throw it out, you do so to your own harm. Because it's relevant. It's real life. So then we get to the apex of history, and that's Jesus Christ. We get to the apex of this whole 
big picture of, of the Bible, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. As God had promised his, you know, Abraham, I, I'm going to bless all people through you, he did. And that blessing happened with the person of Jesus Christ. And it's such an important event. It's, it's the most important event in the history of humanity. God devotes four books of the Bible to this story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of them are synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're, they're kind of repeats from just the same thing over and over. He, he wants us to understand it. Amen? It's really, really important. So we have these four gospel stories of Jesus Christ. And of course, John is the big theological one. We just, we just preached through John. Pastor Aaron and I just preached through John. It's such an important book to understand. He tells us about this apex of history of what, what God is up to. And then we begin to descend down the New Testament and it's reflective of the Old Testament. And what I like about this little picture that we're given to you, it helps you to remember the Bible. So most of the New Testament, from Acts all the way to the book of Jude, it's really an expansion, an explanation of what we have as New Covenant people. It's really, it's a lot of puzzle pieces, but it's so important, right? And so as we go down, the, the first thing that we're going to look at or see there is that we have the New Covenant, and it's, it's basically the book of Acts through the book of Jude, Right? And it's all explained in the New Covenant. Are you getting the picture here? Are you understanding this? Could you explain it to somebody who says, I don't understand the Bible? Because now what we're going to see, it accelerates really fast when we get into the book of Revelation. And it, again, it mirrors, once again, sinful humanity is going to try to build a one world government. It's at the end of the age. Uh, we're told this in, in I, I believe it's Revelation chapter 6 through 19, basically. We see the Antichrist show up. And once again, there's this trying to establish a one world government without God and since the building of the Tower of Babel it's in humanity it's in fallen humanity to try to say I want to do life without God and we're going to make ourselves God we're in charge listen for that language it's all over in our culture we can be God we can do our own thing and we can do life without God and that my friends is just in the fallen nature of humanity and at the end of the age that will kind of come to a, uh, the, the, this big kind of effort and, and once again the Antichrist will, will lead people in this rebellion of building a one world government you know I'm just going to take a break here years ago we might have thought, that, how can that be? It seems improbable that there could actually be a one world government. Now I'm going to tell you something. It seems very probable. The communications are there. There's all this technology there. It's like super easy to see how one world government could happen. Amen? Yeah, I got a murmuring. I'll take it. Yeah, it's very probable that that could take place. Then... The next event should be something that we just hoot and holler and give each other high fives about. Satan and sin are judged. Whoop, excuse me, the world's judged. I better tell you that first. The world is judged and destroyed. Only as the apostle Peter says, it's by fire this time, not water. You see how these are reflective and you can kind of remember what's going on here? The, the, the world is judged and it's by fire this time. It's like Whenever you hear that word fire in the Bible, it's a refining thing. It's, it's God's way of refining. And so what he's doing here when he's judging, he's saying, I'm refining the world. I'm purifying the world. And my bride's going to bubble to the top as my holy inhabitation. And those who aren't up here, uh, who, those who aren't pure because they've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, they're refined out of the picture, so to speak. Which brings us to the next point, uh, the next major event. Um, and that's 
uh, the devil and sin exit. God judges them. And he throws them into the lake of fire. And to all the people who said, God, leave me alone. I don't think you exist. I don't want to have anything to do with you. To all those who have rejected Jesus Christ, where do they end up? With the devil in hell. Sobering, isn't it? But you see the reflectiveness of this thing? Satan and sin entered and caused the destruction of humanity. And then God says, Satan and sin, you're done. You're out of here. And we should go, hooray, amen, right? At least I'm kind of happy about that. I don't know about you. The ancient foe of God's done. Our, our adversary, he's gone. And then we get to the, the climax, and this is Revelation 20 through 22. Um, and this is mankind. This is God with redeemed people in paradise. You see the reflectiveness of this? Can you remember this? Could you share this with somebody? Because we live in a culture that doesn't get the Bible. I think the Christian community doesn't get the Bible. And we, be, we should be able to just kind of ring, ring, and know the big picture here, what's going on, right? Up and down, that, the ring thing was five steps up, five steps down, all right? So you get what I'm saying? We should do, kind of just be able to, I don't know about you, I'm a super visual person. When I get a little, little bit of an aid like this, boom, it's right there in my mind, and it helps me. So now, now that was my tangent, okay? Now we're back to the message, all right, I'm doing better than first hour because we have eight minutes. There I had five minutes to go. So here we go. Here's the response question. Now that you've seen this big picture, do you think life is an accident or are you here on purpose? What do you think? It's really quiet in here. Do you think you're here on purpose? Yes. I'll give you a chance to speak later, okay? And I'll coach you more. So let's get to the specifics of this question. Let's get to some of the puzzle pieces now that specifically talk to this question. Am I an accident or is life on purpose here for me? Let's begin with Genesis 1.1. All right? It says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the, and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then we go through this marvelous creation you need a revelation and explanation. And we get to verses 26 through 27. Listen to what God says there. Then God said, let us make man in our image. He said, triune God, speaking plural. Let us make God in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. See, females, you're not an accident. Amen? I'm being almost really sincere here. He created us male and female on purpose, and both of us are reflective of God. Amen? Amen. I don't know why I said that. I didn't say that first hour. But you follow what I'm saying here. We're we're on purpose. We're, We're part of the puzzle of God, you know, that he's putting together, and you have a plan for your life and purpose for your life and just forget I said that comment please and then let's go to this example of Psalm 139 this is one that I frequently go to myself and I frequently you know when I'm I'm struggling do you ever struggle with identity as a person do you ever feel down you ever feel like I'm a little bit worthless here and uh, I'm inadequate I, I don't know I have those thoughts And I go to Psalm 139 and I just read it to myself as an act of faith. And I'm going to read to you verses 13 through 16. Listen to this. And I, I often say this as a prayer. For you formed me 
God. You formed my inmost parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Amen. And I say, I'll stop there and say, I am no accident. I am not a problem. I'm not a burden to you, God. I'll throw that in there because I'm not. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, um, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Wow. Are we made on purpose? So here's my thing. I'm talking to this lady who's telling me that the Old Testament's irrelevant. What have I shared with you thus far? Only things from the Old Testament. Because there's no old and new in God. Everything's one big story. And it all fits together. Just so you know, there's some New Testament language that speaks to this also. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's saying to his disciples... Uh, you know, they're going to persecute you like they persecuted me, but take heart. And then he says these words, verse 28 through 31 of Matthew 10. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of uh, more value than many sparrows. So I'm going to ask you a question. Are you an accident? No. Now I'm going to make you say it loud. Are you an accident? No. One more time. Because at home that you're watching online, you need to say this too. Are you an accident? No. 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 We're part of the puzzle pieces that God's putting together. That's his big picture. We're part of that story. And uh, you are precious in God's sight. Amen? He knows you by name. He knows the hairs on your head. And he cares about you. And he's interested in your life. And he wants to work his plans out in you. And he wants you to be part of the puzzle that demonstrates this great big picture of redemption of humanity. Amen? That's our God. Now, if there's no God, and we are an accident, then, you know, Ted Turner, dudes like that are right when he says, life is a game and money is how you keep score. Because there's no God, that's what we get reduced to, working. That's sad, isn't it? But we know we're created for more. We're created for this intimate fellowship with our creator, and it completely changes the way you look at life and do life. Created in God's image means, and this is not a liberal versus conservative issue. We got to Okay, I'm going to just step into the muck here, and if you don't like this, talk to Pastor Aaron or something like that. Um, We got to quit using the language of liberal and conservative in Christian communities, and we need to begin to use the language of biblical or not biblical. Okay? And I've really practiced that, my discipline, and I know, Aaron, you believe in this with all your heart, too. All kidding put aside, we've talked on this a lot. And we need to become really biblically languaged people. And uh, so, listen, we're created in God's image, right? And what did he put Adam and Eve in the garden to do? To steward it. So as stewards of God's, as God's steward of this creation, what are we to do? We're to take care of the land. We're to take care of his creation. We're to be concerned about it. That's not a liberal, conservative issue. 
That's a biblical issue. And I, I feel like it's really important to steward creation personally. I'm, I'm convictional on that. But it's because I love God, okay? Created in God's image means this. We really value life because God values life. He knows the hairs on our head. So therefore, we know, as Psalm 139 says, we're God's workmanship, right? And, and as, as, as it says in Ephesians, we're God's workmanship created to do good works. I mean, he's got plans and he's got purposes for every human being. Therefore, you know what? We value and we guard the unborn. Amen? See. You're welcome, but it's God. You can thank him. But, you know, we value the unborn. So here's my question for you. How are we doing as a culture in this regard? Not very well. But that doesn't mean the Christian community can't do well. Amen? Amen. Also, as created beings, I'm going to step into some things I probably, I don't think I'll regret it. I'll just say it. Yeah. Yeah. A society's worth is how you treat the least among you. If you don't value the aged among you and the disabled among you, the ones that have comorbidities, to use the language of today, among you, then we're not valuing God's creation. And so when we get into this whole COVID-19 thing, what's dictating my behavior and my interaction is, do I value those around me? And that always supersedes anything else I feel. That's just where I'm at. You can do what you want with that, but that's where I'm at as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we get into this racial reconciliation. Ah. And I have a nephew who's black. And I have a niece who's Korean. My nephew was pulled over 26 times by the police in Minneapolis because he has an afro. The police are good people. It's not a police issue. This is a cultural issue. And you know what? We're going to, as God's creation, value the disenfranchised. We're going to go after the ones who have had a bad life and have had unfair treatment. And we're not going to write it off and we're not going to get language to justify. We're just going to say, how do we deal with this, okay? So, I mean, I'm crossing all kinds of lines. I don't fit anywhere in the political arena because I don't think as a Christ follower you will. Amen? You follow what I'm saying? And so, I'm just sharing the stuff. Now it got real quiet. Why not just go even farther? <laughs> if, if we're created in God's image, that will affect our sexual expression. And we're more than animals with instincts. We're moral beings created in the image of God and sexual expression is supposed to be a wonderful, holy reflection of our God. It's not just some physical act. And it's got parameters between a man and a woman. All right, I'm going to stop there because I could keep going on and alienate everybody. Or not alienate everybody. Hopefully not because this is God's word. So let's go to the goal of this series. The picture that brands every page in our study guide that uh, 
you, you, I know you all picked up because I've been telling you to pick this up, right? And so the picture that brands every one of our study guide uh, lessons here each week is dealing with our mind, biblical knowledge, our heart, spiritual intimacy, and our will to holy obedience. And so grown-up faith will be based on these three things. So let's look at this question and, that we're dealing with today. I'm not an accident. I'm here on purpose. So therefore... I'm going to think differently. I'm going to think like Psalm 139. God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You have plans for my life. I'm not an accident. I'm here on purpose. My mind's going to think those thoughts. Why? Because that's biblical. That's being grown up. Here's where I'm really going lately. It's the heart part of my being. As created people, as a created person... I should love my creator. I should realize I find purpose and meaning in relationship with my creator. And the more I know my Jesus, the more I fall in love with him. And the more I want to know him, and the more I fall in love with him. And the more I do that, the more my heart should burn with passion for him and zeal for him. And I find myself recently saying so frequently, thank you that you did not leave me separated from you from, because of my sin. Thank you, God, that you sent Jesus as my atoning sacrifice. And I find myself just having this spiritual intimacy with God because I'm realizing what it means. And if we're going to be grown-up people in faith, we're going to move beyond the question, am I here on purpose or am I an accident? to this idea that, oh my goodness, God, you have so many purposes for my life. And they're so beyond my finite mind to even comprehend or put into words. And then we already talked about holy obedience here. We just didn't use that language. But if we have the value system of God going on in our life, if we're going to demonstrate the will of God, then we're going to value the unborn. Right? We're going to value his, his form of sexual expression. We're going we're to value the aged among us. We're going to value the, the weak among us, you know. And we're going to value those kinds of things because that's reflective of God's will and heart. And the holy obedience says that's how I live my life. Those things are going to drive us. And what I realized as I was putting this message together that I think sometimes we, we think, I think you know, but I, I want to make sure you know this. So much of God's truth to us is just revealed truth. We either believe it or we don't. And the key question becomes for you and me is where will we look for answers? Will we just read Genesis 1? God doesn't say, no, let me explain to you why I'm creator. Let me give you eight points to why you should believe the creation story. He just does what? Gives us a creation story. And what do we have to do then? Choose to believe it or not to believe it. Amen. Where will you look for answers? Recently, I, I've been following football here with some, some disdain this year. Um, I'm done with the Vikings, guys. I, I know if you're Vikings fans, that no, it's just a year off or two or three or four. Um, I love them anyway because I'm from Minnesota and I just don't know any better. But, um, <laughs> but one of the things I noticed when they did their first game, they didn't even have the sound going with the action right, and that drove me nuts. I thought, all right, anyway, this is going to be an interesting year. Uh, Tom Brady 
made this move from New England to the, to the Buccaneers, right? And that's been a fascinating move to watch. And I remember back in 2005, he was interviewed by 60 Minutes, Tom Brady. His, he had just got three Super Bowl rings at that point in his career. And he just got reflective on the interviewer and he didn't know what to do. And Tom Brady said this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, me. I think it's got to be more. I mean, this can't be all there is. It can't be all there's cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? (laughs) The interviewer's perplexed. You know, this is not where he, I think, wanted to go with the interview. And he said, oh, what's the answer? And Brady said, I wish I knew. We know. If you know Jesus Christ, you have the answer. You know what you're about. You're no accident. You're here on purpose. Sometimes I've wondered with my wife, uh, what would life have been like if I just stuck at 3M and never did this pastoral thing? And, and we, we both know that's a, a bad way of thinking. And every time I have that conversation, we end up looking at each other and say, what a good life God has given us. This is a great life. To follow his plans and purposes for your life, there's just no better life to be experienced. So this is our conclusion today. You're not an accident. You're here on purpose. That makes all the difference in the world. I love science. I'm a nerd. I'm going to admit it. Uh, And so I read nerdy stuff, and I like Sir Isaac Newton. He has great quotes. Listen to this. He said, The most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being, and on account of his dominion, he is wont to be called Lord and God. In other words, Isaac Newton said, I look at the planets and I say, there's got to be a God. I'm with that boy on that one. That stuff just can't happen by itself. I mean, this guy invents calculus, so he's not dumb, you know. He's kind of smart. And I come to this reading of Solomon differently in Psalm 24.1 lately, where Solomon said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Right. Because all creation screams God. People scream God. God's revelation has made him known. And it's the foolish one that says, there is no God, because God's making it known. You're not an accident. You're here on purpose. We need to pray. I've run us way over. But we're still going to finish on time. God is good. See, they gave me an extra minute. You know, you give a a mouse a cookie, right? They want a glass of milk. That's me. That's what I am. So I don't know what's wrong with me today. I keep looking at Eric, too, and he's just laughing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'll look over here. John, you don't laugh. Oh, no. I'm going to All right. Right. He's just saying, don't look at me. Jessica's laughing about it. But All right, let's pray. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for today. And thank you for... Um, thank you for the big picture, Lord. Man, it's so important for us to get this. I, I, I just think sometimes to our own harm, we just don't get what's going on. We don't see the overall picture. And then we don't know where we fit in and we don't know our puzzle piece and we don't know the pieces of the puzzle and then we don't know how they're adding up but we know the big picture Jesus and I pray that each one here today will go and reflect on what's been shared today and understand this basic truth that comes out of all this I am not an accident I am here on purpose God I think that's a message that a lot of the world needs to hear today so grace us that way would you Lord to be convictional have our mindset 
that way. And may it affect our, our hearts, Lord, that we have this renewed intimacy with you, that you know the hairs on our head, that you know the beginning to the end of our days. Nothing surprises you, God. And I don't know about these folks, Lord, but that brings me such comfort of the heart, such assurance, Lord. And I pray that our wills would align with your will, Father, that we be people of holy obedience. And uh, maybe that will manifest itself in a multiplicity of ways. Maybe it's just valuing other people like you value them, Lord. And maybe it's being able to speak a word that a friend or a relative let's speak a word you're not an accident life isn't just haphazard God has a plan for you maybe it's just something like that Lord maybe that's our holy obedience I don't know Lord God maybe it is valuing the unborn or valuing the aged among us or whatever it might be Lord but gracious would you to have this holy obedience thing and Lord when we put all those together mind heart and will then we're growing up in our faith, Lord. And that's ultimately the goal of this series, that we grow up in our faith, Lord. May it be so by your grace and by your power and by the filling of the Holy Spirit. God, we love you. And all God's people said, 